0: hello and welcome to a new episode of the bim voice podcast today's guest is ralph montag i hope i pronounced well your name (laughs) Uh, um, ralph is a director of artdocs a bim consultancy based in dublin Ireland. a board member of the ireland's national bim council chair of the irish bim national mirror committee board member of construction it alliance coordinator of the revit user users island group and co-host of the aac hive podcast welcome ralph it's nice to have you here thank you very much i'm pleased to be with you i see you are quite busy from uh, from <laughs> uh, from listing uh, all these uh, functions you have uh, all these jobs you have uh, can you uh, present yourself a little bit tell us a little bit what you do daily and... sure
1: yeah well I'm an architect by profession. Um, I suppose 12 years ago, we we decided to move away from architectural design and into BIM consulting. And um, what we saw at that time was that BIM was just something that was becoming new. I mean, it wasn't new, but obviously it wasn't really that used. So we, we saw a lot of companies and people that needed help. And we decided to specialize in the area of, of helping clients and helping designers and and helping contractors to to embrace them as in their projects and um yeah and i suppose that's yeah that's what's kept me busy and got me involved in all these different industry groups is because we we're trying to help uh, educate people and and um help people to to embrace this way of working because we believe strongly that it's uh gonna make a huge difference to the way the construction sector works
0: okay I see so you've been you've been uh, fighting this battle for a while now 12 years that is something and uh, not not necessarily very positive like if we think like we we would have hoped to get uh, uh, to uh, to some level where we we might work to more advanced things that, uh, then and um, but uh, it's still it's still um, a need for a clarification uh, on uh, on many areas, right? It's still uh, it, not a, a complete understanding and embracing of uh, the new techniques, right?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, obviously there's some companies and some organisations that are well advanced in in the use of them, but it's fair to say that in general the adoption is still quite low. Um, and um you know I think it hasn't helped that some of the terminology and the discussion about BIM has been you, you know it's, it's almost like a, a language in its own, and it confuses a lot of people and so we what we try and do is try and simplify it for people and um you know we we try and put it in the context of of real projects and that's what we're doing we're building buildings we're building infrastructure um you know, it's the built environment. It's, it's something that's very real to everybody. Every single person, you know, is impacted by the built environment. It's where we live, it's where we work, it's where our children go to school. It's where we care for people. It's where we do our shopping. It's where we go eating and drinking and, you know, everything is is involved with the built environment. And, um, you know, we, we feel strongly that, you know, that if, if you have a, a well-performing built environment, then you have a good society and, uh, if you have a, a poorly performing built environment, then you have a, a struggling society. And yeah, uh, you know, even in Ireland, where we, uh, where we would probably consider ourselves a first world country, we we are struggling. Uh, our construction sector is struggling to meet the demands of society in terms of providing enough housing, providing enough schools, <coughs> providing enough uh, hospitals, you know, etc. So, yeah, you know, so we. That's that's what drives us, I suppose, is to see how can we do things better, how can we in, improve the performance of the the uh, construction sector and and you know the delivery and the and the operations of the built environment. And uh, that's where we feel information plays an important part, that it's it's very difficult to build something without information or without good information. yeah, you know, and it's very difficult to maintain and operate. Something without good information,
0: or exactly,
1: yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so we, we try and talk to people about the quality of information, um, you know, what's good information versus bad information or poor information, you know. So, yeah, I suppose I would describe poor information as information that's incomplete or late or you know, incorrect, um, very difficult to work with. Or difficult to find or query, uh, and then good information is the opposite. It's it's correct, it's on time, it's it's easy to work with. Yeah, you know. and I think most people understand that sort of language. So we're not. Uh, so we talk about information. We're talking about information about the built environment, um, and then yeah, obviously we want to talk about how's what's the best way to produce and manage information and this is where we we talk about the difference between analog and digital because you, traditionally people would have produced analog information so, you know written reports drawings you know typed out schedules and things but it's, it's always printed out and presented as a as a piece of paper and uh which is fine it's it's interesting but you it's very difficult to work with a piece of paper uh you know and you know yourself you know, if you manage a bank account you, you, you can get your statement of your bank account printed on a piece of paper and it's it's useful to have that. But if you want to add up the numbers or do anything, you have to pull it off the piece of paper and into Excel to try and work with it. So it would have been better if the bank had sent you the the digital data because it's just easier to work with and uh, easier to, to manipulate and, and calculate and process and um so that's where for us the the modeling part information modeling uh for us is more than 3d modeling it's about producing and managing all the information in a in a digital way using digital tools Uh, and of course 3d is part of that because you you are creating a digital representation of buildings and infrastructure uh but it's only one part like the the underlying digital data and all the relevant documentation is all it's all necessary and all important so
0: yeah that's a very important uh, distinction there and uh, that's a fight i also uh, fight myself but uh, yeah as you said the 3d model it's, it's vital we cannot imagine modeling information the mod uh, the information about a building without the the design the, 3, the 3d model that you can use you can Visualize it. You can use it to build the project, right? Or you might even use it in maintenance or operation But there you need some more advanced kind of data and <clears throat> it might help just for the visualization more then yeah. Can you uh, tell me a little bit uh, about the podcast? Uh, why did you start the podcast and what it is about?
1: Yeah, so we started AEC Hive as a to try and create a community what we what we found just in speaking myself and my co-founder john egan was that innovation in the ac sector was was a little bit dis- dispersed and uh, it was quite low i mean you know you, you don't really sort of see a lot of innovation or formal innovation happening of course people are doing innovation on every project you know at a project level but that never seems to, those learnings never seem to come, you know, in, back into the industry in general, you know, so people finish the project and then they go to the next project and it has a, a new set of challenges. And, you know, so the, the learning from the previous project gets forgotten and not disseminated in across, uh, even across companies, but definitely not across the, the sector. So we, we recognize that there were pockets of, innovators around the world but we we wanted to connect some of those together and create a community where people who were interested in you know advancing the AEC sector would feel comfortable to come together and speak and do things together and so that's what we started AEC High for. The reason for the podcast I suppose was I think we originally thought we would do events that would bring people together. But obviously this year with COVID, we we haven't had a lot of opportunities to do events. So we we decided to interview some leading people in the industry and record those interviews and um to as a podcast to have some views. And we've had some fantastic people on the podcast this year. I think we've had about over 15 people you know just leading in different areas of the AEC sector. Speak to us, so it was, It's been really interesting
0: and yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, it's very nice and very much needed, I would say, because, like you said, uh, the the information for our industry is very scattered around. It's very difficult to find. Uh, this was one of the reasons I started this podcast myself because I had so many questions, and uh, I would not find answer, or I would find uh, conflicted answers, and. Uh, i thought about if i uh, have this challenge maybe there are more people having the same challenge so why not just uh, start uh, try doing something about this
1: yeah and it's, it's fascinating how the technology has opened up the world and especially you know since the the, the, the pandemic started yeah. i think um, you know the connections people have begun to make through digital technologies and, and Video conferencing and it's fascinating, you know, that you can meet people from different places that you've never met physically, but uh, you can begin to share ideas and 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 you know, spread the message. So it's exactly it's we've had a revolution, I think, in the last six months, yeah, in uh, in how digital technologies have opened up um, the world.
0: You know, the technology has been there for. Many years. Absolutely, we have been forced ourselves to 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 use it uh, because we had no choice, right? So I think, in a way, the same problem is with beam as well, and we, with beam adoption across the globe, because we had we have more advanced technology than we can use, but we just don't do it uh, consistently, or uh, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we saw that with. Some of the companies we work with, um, you know, some companies were very advanced in their use of BIM and remote working and you know, remote collaboration. Uh, it's just the way they worked anyway. And uh, when the pandemic came and things began to be locked down, it, it had very little effect on their business. Other companies who had been avoiding using you know, remote working and um, it, you know, relied on co-location uh, where suddenly, you know, the the business stopped for, you know, a month. Even some in some cases, where they just didn't know what to do, and they had to get set up and learn, you know, these ways of working. So uh, it's it was a good example to see that that you know those who had adopted digital ways of working uh, were at a clear advantage to those who didn't, you know, in in this pandemic. And and I think that's going to continue. Uh, for the foreseeable future, anyway, so I think people have to become less dependent on on being in the same place all the time, and uh, and more de- you know more agile and resilient by by being able to work remotely. Yeah, and uh, and it's an interesting question. I think that most people should be asking right now is when you think about construction, and it's a very physical thing. You know how how much of construction can you do? Sitting at home, <laughs> you know, like that. When you first think of that, you think, well, you can't do any construction sitting at home. But, but of course, you can do a lot. You can do almost the complete design, you know, sitting at home. You don't exactly. have, yeah. You can do all the procurement and planning and, yeah. You, you know, so, so there's a, a huge amount of work that you can do remotely. You can also, um, you know, through offsite. Uh, construction you can do large elements of work in factories which can be more controlled environments and safer environments and where different the different trades can work together so at, at the same time in other words you can have somebody in the factory producing mechanical equipment working at the same time as other people in a different factory producing electrical uh, equipment or other sort of parts of the building you know pre Structural elements. So suddenly, where previously on site all the work had to be um, sequential, now you can have that concurrent. So, so that sort of mindset is even improving the delivery time on projects, and that that people only come to site at you know at, at uh, shortest periods of time when they need to physically assemble or install something. Exactly. So it's, yeah so i think that's that's a fascinating que- question and uh, i think companies that are thinking about that are really moving ahead and other companies who are still trying to think about building buildings in the traditional way you know of having lots of people together uh, are are struggling
0: yeah and uh, it's more effective as well people uh, people do more in this uh, get uh, less distracted by uh colleagues or meetings or um i don't know but you uh, and you have also some more flexibility on your time you choose sometimes you can choose when you can work and such and you work more effectively it happens for me at least <laughs> yeah yeah
1: <laughs> uh, absolutely and um you, you know so i think this pandemic in in some way as, as bad as it is, is has has really opened the floodgates of of digital adoption and uh, so i think we're going to see very rapid change now. Um, you know we're already seeing that so.
0: Yes that's very good uh, yeah. who, who won't do it uh, will just uh, default it's, it's easy.
1: Yeah so um, and like adoption has been slow I think particularly sometimes we feel we've been at this for 12 years you know and you still having the same conversations with some people you know like you know why do we have to build this model (laughs) and uh you know can't we just go to site and start building you know we we want to get to site as quickly as possible but is it you know we all know that if you go to site with incomplete information uh that's unresolved you're going to have the same problems every time and uh yeah so this this idea of building the building twice build it digitally first, do all the resolution and the testing in this digital environment where it's very easy and cheap and safe, you know, um, makes enormous sense. And yeah, trying to fix things on site, it's, it's the most expensive, most disruptive, most unsafe place to, to fix things.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's so true. But, but then again, unfortunately, unfortunately, there are many businesses built exactly around this idea. On taking a project with a low price, and after that, just requiring or uh, uh, yeah, requiring for more money to uh, modify or to fix the mistakes they did in the first place because they did not expect for the building to be designed first.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's that's happened because of the 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 poor quality information that's being presented in the first place, so i think I think people have learned to to work with poor information and get the job done over the years so yeah you know, and uh, so, so that's become a business model so we you know we and unfortunately that means people don't value good quality information because they say, well, I don't need good quality information. I can build a building with poor quality we've been doing that for for 20 years <laughs> um, so so it has no value you know, good quality information therefore they don't want to spend time and money sort of improving the quality of the information um, so that's the education piece I think you have to educate uh, all the, the parties and particularly the clients the people who are sort of procuring buildings and paying people to do do things that uh, that they have to you know they have to build they have to basically buy the building twice they're going to buy it digitally first and you know check it and make sure it works and and then buy it a second time physically and at first people don't understand that idea that just in their minds that sounds more expensive and slower but it's not more expensive it's it's actually cheaper
0: (laughs) well it can be more expensive because it will require a little bit more design but it is going to be the design is going to be more expensive, not the co- the total cost. Of course, you will get cheaper building because you will have planned better, and not only that, then you have much better documentation for operation as well, where it comes the real kicks in the real uh, saving money part.
1: Yeah, well, I don't fully agree that the design will be more expensive, but I, I think you have to produce the information anyway. Yeah, you're, you're producing at a di- at a different time. Yeah, you know, so. Instead of leaving the production of information to a very late period in the process, you you're doing that earlier. Yeah. So so maybe in a period of time it might be it might seem more expensive, but if you look at it overall, it's going to be less expensive. It's, it's it takes you less time to produce information in BIM than it does to produce information in two D, for instance. So if I'm describing a building and I've got to describe it in plan. In elevation, in section, in detail, in schedules, yeah. You know, so I'm describing that building six or seven times in different through different uh, methods. Um, it's much quicker to to describe that building once in a model, yeah. You know, and I can generate plans and elevations if I need them. But the the effort of producing the information is in putting it once into the model. And if I need to make a change, I just yeah. make the change once in the model. Whereas in the, in the traditional way, if, if a change had to happen, you had to remember to change all the different drawings and specifications and schedules. So yeah, so I don't believe if overall that um, producing information in BIM is any more expensive or, or, or takes longer. But I do agree that in a period of time, you're doing more of the work up front and the coordinating, which you may not have done until much later in the traditional process. So yeah,
0: I I, I agree. Uh, I'm thinking only about uh, well, if if the client will require a more advanced uh, model, if the client will require more information, want some information put in the model for the operation phase. From this point of view, it is going to be a little bit more. But let's not for the, forget that the price for the design of the total cost, it's around 10% of, the, of this. So when you save, if you do that properly and you get a very small increase there and you save much more from the entire cost of the project. So then it becomes, of course, unrelevant. Uh, so from this point of view, I said, and the, uh, I had actually on the last podcast, uh, I had a guest uh, and they have actually designed the first, uh, the longest bridge Uh, in Norway that has been uh, designed uh, only as a 3d model and they is built as a without any drawings Uh, it's been awarded by Tekla as uh, the best beam and infrastructure project which is really interesting and he said this uh, that uh, it's been a little bit more time because of they needed to talk more with the customer and with the builder with the contractor Uh, but uh, overall they saved at least 8% 8% or something like that from the total cost which is huge compared with a small with very small increase and the small increase is not only because of the more information you need but it's because is the it's the infant steps we are doing is the first time we are doing it right we, we are not used with this kind of process right and after the designers are getting better and better it becomes the new normal then you might end up of course not not uh, having a higher price for the design anyway
1: yeah well I, I suppose I always like to put things in context because you know I mean there's the overall price of of yeah. the project and uh, traditional projects are always over time over budget you, you know and uh, <laughs> yeah I know you know like seventy percent it's it's a high, a very high figure of projects are over time and over budget you know and uh, you know in that context if you can reduce the time and reduce the um, the cost overruns by, by anything, it will pale in significance to any increase in design costs. Exactly. Yeah, but but I'm um, still saying if you have got to look at the overall thing, not just focus on. Of course. The design the cost problem. because uh, the the design cost is yeah you know, is something that has to happen anyway. You know, yeah. Like even you you mentioned there capturing information about operations like that that was always a requirement like you you know, you under the health and safety regulations you always had to provide information of how to operate and maintain a the, the building. so there's nothing new you're just asking for that information to be provided in a, a digital way rather than a, a a piece of paper yeah you know so you're not asking for new information you're just asking for a different format of information now for some design, designers, they think, well, that's that's new. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I
0: mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. From uh, the way they must deliver it, and it might take some while to get accustomed to.
1: Yeah. Um, I also think there's a lot of confusion. You know, people think that BIM changes the, the relationship between designers and contractors, and that designers should be doing more. Um, yeah, I don't, personally, I don't think that's correct. Like, designers have a function, which is to, describe the design intent it's not the designers job to tell you how to construct a building because they're not they're not builders you know uh, so the, des- the designer describes the design intent and the contractors who are the people that have the knowledge of how to construct and build must describe the construction method if you like you know the the means and methods of how to yeah. construct a building and and um, and capture as, as they're choosing materials and pieces of equipment and you know and purchasing those from suppliers you know that's it's at that time they must collect all the digital information relevant for for operations so it, it, you know you you're not asking designers to to do work that other people are meant to do designers must continue to do the work they're meant to do which is describe the, the design intent and I think a lot of people forget a, Forget about that difference between design intent and construction, which always yes. existed. So, you know, we had design drawings and we had shop drawings in the old days. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I think people have forgotten that somehow they got mixed up, you know, that contractors have to produce the fabrication information.
0: But let me ask you something regarding this, because wouldn't this mean that? we need to model the building twice right the designer is supposed to model it and the, for design purpose right and for build pro- purpose wouldn't be wouldn't become more effective if we somehow if the uh, builder would work in a way with the designer providing the information the designer needs because the designer let's say it's uh, it has better experience with making the 3d mod- modeling right they have more advanced techniques, they use parametric design and such things, right? Let's say, uh, wouldn't, be, w- wouldn't uh, we end up with saving some time here or uh, some money if we would combine, like if the contractor will work closer with the designer from this point of view?
1: Absolutely, and that's why um, the procurement method is, is so important. Like traditional procurement, um, you know, the design was completed to a stage and then you went out and, and you tried to find contractors, you know, get a price from different contractors. So contractors are being appointed quite late in the, the design stage and, and even their subcontractors, you, you first go, go get a price from the main contractor and then they start tendering out the subcontracts. Uh, and so it can be very late, you know, when let's say uh, you're an electrical installer uh, you can come up. You can come to the project at a very late stage and have no input because everything's been decided too late. And yeah. uh, even though you're the expert on electrical systems, uh, you you don't have the opportunity to to give any real input that would improve the design. So, any type of procurement method that allows the contractors to be appointed earlier would definitely help the the situation and and avoid this this um where you're producing the information two or three times um so yeah i mean there's lots of different procurement methods but i suppose the one that gives the best opportunity is what you know what they call alliancing contracts or ipd integrated project delivery where where effectively the everybody is appointed to the team before any design has occurred so the contractor is part of the team the yeah you know, and the subcontractors and the specialists they're all appointed to the team before the design starts and they can work together to to develop the design uh, collaboratively uh, that's been around for a long time ipd or Alliancing has been around for 10 years but people because it's so new people don't do that yeah you know, they they tend to to do what they always did which is the traditional contracts where they 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 do a design up to a point and then you know, then get the contractors in at a very late stage. So yeah, what, what this needs, that means that the, the problem yeah isn't technology or boom. <laughs> the problem is how people procure Processes. the, the, the yeah. process and, and the trust. You know, obviously in IPD you need to trust the companies you're working with because <laughs> you you're signing a contract with them without any design, you know, just based on previous experience and previous working knowledge of these companies. Um, so you, you're forming a, a, a multi-party partnership um, where, you, where you actually have to work together rather than this is us against them kind of. you know Traditional contracts are very adversarial. That's, exactly. Yeah, you know, so everybody is fighting against each other.
0: <laughs> this is not helping BIM at all. This is not helping us as an industry at all, fighting each other instead of working together. Well, as you said, some
1: some companies have actually learned to make a business out of fighting each other. Yeah, you know, so that's that's how they make money is by uh, signing contracts and then fighting to make more money. <laughs> and exactly. So then they've become, exactly. They've, they've become quite good at that. Yeah, you know, that's a business model.
0: But uh, how how do we avoid this? The customer, the client, has only to lose from this. Why are not they more willing to implement this kind of contracts? Well,
1: I think it comes to the professional advice that clients get. I mean, we must remember that many clients are not in the business of building. You know, I mean, there are some like developers who do multiple projects and things, but most clients are not in the business of building. you know they're in another business. you're a financer or a retailer or so your business isn't building. so and you come to a professional team and you ask for advice, and I, personally, I think the the professionals out there are not giving the clients the best advice. Yeah. You know, and often the, the professionals that are involved at the early stages of the project, you know, like the project managers and maybe the finances and the solicitors, you know, at that very early stage, none of them understand BIM, none of, none of them understand procurement methods. Yeah. You know, and they are just basically giving them 20 year old advice, <laughs> you, you know, and, and that sets the rules before you and sometimes it's even the architects and engineers aren't aren't on board yet and you know the rules have been set now this is how we're going to procure this building and it's in the traditional fashion uh and then when the architects and engineers come on board those rules are already set and uh you have no way to influence the client so that's i think the sad part is the professionals out there are not giving clients the best advice so I always think of when you go to a doctor, you know, let's say you're sick, like the, doc- the doctor doesn't expect you as the patient to tell him how to do the, his job. <laughs> like the other <laughs> way around, like yeah. he's, the prof- he's the professional. And you want a doctor who knows about the best and the most latest technology when it comes to diagnosis and treatment of, of your disease. Uh, you don't want the guy who studied 50 years ago and never bothered to read a medical book since, you know. Um, you, so you you want to go to the uh, the get the best professional advice. So and that's what I would say for clients. You need to start asking for the best professional advice from people who are up to date with what the best procurement methods are, with what the best technologies are, you know, the best processes, how to select the best teams. Yeah, and those are the projects that are really flying and doing really well, like the one you described there. Yeah, you know, where they where they know how to bring the right people together at the right time and and get the best best results. It's all about outcomes. focused on results and performance and outcomes uh, rather than this just doing doing things the way we did twenty years ago. Um, yeah, and that's that's what we see. Like most projects, unfortunately often when we get called in, it's it's also at a very late stage uh, and we see the project is just, it's on a track of a traditional design, (laughs) bid build, and you just know it's going to be difficult. Um, Everybody knows. Like everybody, it's it's not a secret. Everybody knows that the traditional way of procuring buildings uh, doesn't work and it results in buildings that are costly and slow to deliver and the performance and quality of buildings is poor um, and the working environment for people is unsafe um, these are not secrets, like everybody knows that-
0: it's so sad it's so <laughs> sad to acknowledge this Jesus yeah,
1: and, and it comes down to professional, and I actually it's one of the things that it, it irritates me a little bit, is when I talk to other professionals uh, and they say oh, but my client didn't want them, or my client didn't want to do this. And I said, Well, who, who what, you're the professional, like what advice are you giving your client? Or, what, you know, you're an architect, uh, you're a project manager, you're a quantity surveyor, like you're the professional, like you should be giving your client uh, the best advice that will, will achieve the best outcomes, not just accepting, you know, just because your client didn't understand. Uh, you know, going back to my example of the doctor, if you know, if if I told my doctor, look, I've got this cancer or something, but I want you to use this treatment, <laughs> that, would be, that would be stupid because I don't know what the best treatment is. <laughs> um, you know, you want the doctor to say, I've been researching the, the latest treatment, and this is what you should be looking at.
0: Yeah, that's, all true. that's all so true. That's I
1: think professionals professionals have forgotten how to be professional uh in you know, in the environment
0: <laughs> yes or uh, or they are very comfortable with the way they are doing things and uh, it's a very big resistance to move from traditional way of working
1: i can't i can't believe they're comfortable like you know, the working environment in tr- traditional way of working is not comfortable at all it's hor- it's terrible it's you're always firefighting you're always under pressure you're always trying to catch up it's not a nice environment I can't believe people are comfortable in that environment. Maybe a few senior people are comfortable because their companies are making some money, but everybody in that in those companies is just working long hours, redoing work over and over again, you know firefighting, writing lots of letters, you know in this adversarial game of you know a lot of contract administration trying trying to cover yourself and, and also <laughs> put yourself in a in a legal position um yeah i don't i can't see how that would become not no. for me anyway
0: <laughs> when i when i say comfortable i mean like uh, we people it's very difficult to change right to grow from what we are doing most of us we are comfortable with the way things go in our lives right yeah. so if you want to grow yourself you need to study a lot first. You need to look around for a better solution and invest a lot of time. This is going to have an impact in your life, of course, right? So from this perspective, I'm thinking like they they are in their comfort comfort zone, not not that it's nice the the working environment and such, but I mean from a from a growing perspective, like growth mindset, if you can say it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree with you. And look, change is difficult for for anybody. It's, um, but I, I think you have to you have to step back a little bit and think about why change would be good for you and you know, what's, what you're going to, what are you going to benefit out of it? So you sort of, you have to, you know, I know everybody's busy and in a rush, but you have to s- just stop for a minute and say, you know, has a vision of a different way of working where we, you know, where we are delivering real value, but with without all the pressure and the the negative stuff and the duplication of work and, So you could, you could halve your work load uh, by not doing like the work twice. Like we see that so often people will do something just to get it done today, knowing full well it's wrong and they're going to have to redo it tomorrow. They know that already, but they they do it just because somebody said you have to have it done today. You know? Um, And so that's so wrong. But it happens everywhere. People are, Producing information just to get it out, just to have something there, knowing it's wrong. You know, like instead of trying to saying, "Let's just do it right, do it right the first time, and not have to do it again." <laughs> that you could, if you had that attitude, you would halve your workload straight away, um, and have have more time and less pressure, and you know things would go go much much better. So you have to have a vision, I suppose, of what what a different way of working would be. You have to understand the personal incentive that a new way of working would bring to you as a person. Because if, if it doesn't, if it's not going to make your life better, then you're not going to change. You know, so so I think people have to think about the, the what's in it for me. How's this going to make my life better? Um, obviously, you need some skills that you have to acquire. You need some resources like you know, money, time, computers, software, you know, so, so if, if you're not, not in an environment where you've been given those things, then that, that's also difficult. Uh, but change doesn't happen by itself, by accident. You know, you're just going to wake up one day and change <laughs> happens. So it's deliberate change is, you know, something you have to pursue with a deliberate intent. Um, but it's actually, once you've done that, it's, it's quite easy. Once you've figured out why you must do it, how it's going to make your life better. What resources and skills you need, you know, it's actually pretty easy to do, and it's significant. I mean, that just going from two D drafting, for instance, to BIM, you know, would w- would halve your workload because you're not describing buildings in plans and elevations and sections, and <laughs> you know, and every time someone says that, oh, we we decided we're going to change something, you're like, oh, I've got to go and change the plan, I've got to go change the elevation, you know, um, so just working in BIM already just takes all that nonsense away. You just put it in once and if you want to change it, you change it once. That's it. Um, so I think pe- if people, got that part, um, they don't believe yet.
0: Maybe they don't believe still in this.
1: Yeah, because they haven't experienced it. So, um, and, and I suppose that's where, as, like in, in my previous role as an architect, that's how we started. I mean, I, we started this, Working in BIM, it wasn't called BIM then. We were just using software to produce uh, drawings, but but we were doing it through 3D models just because it was quicker to to produce the model and get the drawings out. So nobody was asking us for the model, but that was the way we were working as a a way to improve it. So, you know, so I can speak to people from my experience as an architect of this is a better way of producing information, even, you know, well, it must be fifteen years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: before it became a thing that people spoke about, and um, yeah, but people have to experience it, and then getting there is is the trick because obviously there's a period. Let's call it a learning period where actually your pr- productivity is going to go down from yeah. what you're doing now because you have to Look. take time. You have to time time out. You've got to go and do some training. You've got to practice you know so there's there's a period you just got to you just have to work through it's, it's not a long period actually I, I would say for most people it's probably two or three months um you know and you just have to accept that, that i have to get through this period but after six months to a year you're you're just working in a completely different way and it's much it's, it's a lot more fun particularly for designers you can spend more time thinking about the design rather than doing Sort of tedious and mundane tasks of producing outputs and fixing outputs, so you you can focus your time on the thing that you're good at.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not uh, all bad and hopeless, but it's slowly. It's happening slowly. Like I said, in Norway now we come to around over one hundred projects that has been built without drawings. There are these uh, public agencies, uh, Norwegian uh, Public Road Administration and Infrastructure, Railroad Administration and uh, Building Administration. They are coming with better, uh, w- with very clear requirements. And uh, they start now most of their projects, if not all, without require uh, not requiring drawings anymore. So this is a very big step. It's something very important, I, I think. And, and yeah. I'm really uh, lucky to be here and witness this. But it's still like if Norway—it's a small country—and uh, people try to work together if they get the chance, right? So I really hope this is going to to become a pandemic across the world as well, <laughs> because I see this as the next next um, next step for us to elevate ourselves. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's fantastic, and yeah. I think the Scandinavian countries have been quite progressive in this area, uh, and and maybe unfortunately, maybe it's a language thing. It's just all the great stuff that's happening in in the, the Scandinavian countries doesn't doesn't uh, get out to the world. If you like, you know. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think some significant things have happened in the last few years, which which are accelerating change. I mean, I think the adoption of standards, the has been a very good driver. The fact that um you know the, the sen the European Standard Standardization Committee have set up a group that looks at them standards now and you know they've adopted um it, you know, the ISO standards for IFC and various other things. Yeah. That they they've got the process standard now, the ISO ISO nineteen six fifty, yeah, you know, that's been accepted. It's an international standard. You, you know, and I really believe standardization is a is a big part to play because particularly in Ireland, I'm sure it's pretty much the same in every country. The industry is so fragmented. There's so many little companies, Mm -hmm. you know, like in in Ireland, I'd say 90% of companies operating in construction are less than 10 people. So they're micro enterprises. I mean, obviously you have the big companies, but a lot of companies are small companies and, for a small company, if you have to do something different every time, <laughs> it's very expensive and it's you know you have to learn something new each time you you do your work and that's that's not helping. We need consistency uh, in the way we produce information and manage information, and that's where the standards uh, are coming into play so I think if if the clients can adopt standards. And by the time you get down to the little companies at the bottom, who yeah. are the pe- people who are actually doing the work, at least they have they can be doing the same thing each time, and that way you're developing a, a sort of a repetitive way of working, um, you know, and uh, and some consistency, and you know that that just means the quality will will improve. So I'm very excited. Um, obviously i obviously have a thing about standards, but I'm excited that this is now. An international standard, a European standard. It's adopted across Europe. Like one of the things under European regulations is, if you have a competing standard, you have to you have to let go of that and you have to adopt. But we didn't have a standard in Ireland, so that's fine. So now we have an Irish standard that is a European standard and an international standard. We have one way of organising and digitising the information about buildings and infrastructure yeah um, now that doesn't mean everybody's following that way yet <laughs> so it's <laughs> not it's, it's not a regulation to to follow the standard so standards are still mandatory but this is where the education comes in that we, we need to teach people what, firstly why standards are important yeah you know, and, and the the idea is that this consistency of of way of working will reduce the costs will improve the quality yeah, you know, it will reduce the time, and uh, so there's there's real benefits to following standards for for companies, and uh, that we just need to educate people about that. And
0: um, yeah, I completely agree.
1: And then and then everybody knows what to expect. You know, so if, if you know this project is following ISO nineteen six fifty part two, yeah, I know what to expect. I know what's required from the clients. I know what's required from the the, uh, the lead appointed party you know the designers the contractors and even if I'm playing a small part in this project at the bottom uh, yeah I know what my part is and, and and how it's going to feed into the bigger the bigger picture so I think that that's been significant um, since 2018 when that came out um, that's accelerating change it uh, people are struggling with that as well because they've obviously developed their own way of working over 10 20 years and you know <laughs> suddenly they've been told that you can't do it your way anymore you have to do it this way <laughs> and um, yeah well but um, yeah I think the people who are are not sort of tied to their own way of working um, and are willing to accept international standards are moving ahead faster. Those who are saying, "Yeah, I'm heavily invested in my way of working, um, I'm not changing, are struggling.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's no guarantee if they won't try to learn uh, themselves out of the situation, they may just stop existing or their their business won't be able to sustain itself. Yeah. But I think
1: what's also exciting for companies Countries and companies with the standards now is it's opening up the market. So you know you can work in different countries in Europe, yeah, in a standardized way. Yeah. Uh, so you're not, yeah. So you're not suddenly you're you're not sort of located to a ge- geographic re- region anymore. You can work that's with huge. people. Yeah. Um, so and that's a big driver in Europe. The European Commission you know, are pushing the digital single market, which is really important. So. Um, for, for countries, because, you know, each country will have ups and downs in terms of supply and demand. And um, you, know, you can't rely to totally on always, always being busy just in your, in your
0: market. So, Yeah, sure. I completely agree. Regarding standards, they are vital. I don't see any other way we can agree and uh, push us to go further, because otherwise you just have no role. Uh, you just, everybody do, does uh, what he wants or she wants. Yeah. I see those, um, I have some problems with the standards. And one of them, it's access to them. Especially when you, when you put it like, if you have a majority of small companies. It, they are expensive for small companies. Personal opinion, nobody told me this. But I don't like that. I think there are ways to make it more accessible. For There are other industries uh, where you have other business models. I think the business model, uh, it's limiting the adoption of them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's,
1: it's a difficult one because obviously a lot of work goes into developing standards. I mean, it's years of work. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, so, so I do understand that the standards have some value in, in some monetary value you know I'm just like a, a standard if you if you're in a business and this is your core business yeah um in that context like paying for a, a, you know 100 euros or 200 euros for a standard that's going to sort of dictate how your business flourishes and and does better um yeah you know, it doesn't sound like a lot to me because if you, know, if you go out for the night in a restaurant, if you can't, if you can't do that anymore, <laughs> you know, you could easily spend a hundred euros, 200 euros on a night out with some friends yeah, for one night. And it, that just this sustains you for one night. Whereas you know, you're talking about something that's going to dictate the way your business works for the next five, 10 years. Um, you know, that's, I think that, that, uh, doesn't sound like a lot of money to me. Um, uh, but I think there are ways that it could be better i think for instance um maybe the governments of certain countries if they felt strongly that this was going to help their sector could sponsor the the standards. so i mean you've seen we've seen examples in the uk with the previous uh, past standards where, where the government sponsored the the standard and that that allowed the standard to be di- distributed to the market um, yeah but that means you need a government to feel strongly that this is going to yeah. help uh, I think it's a sad thing particularly in our country but I'm sure it applies elsewhere where people at the high level in government just make a decision so like you will follow the standard yeah. but the responsibility is left to the small little companies of exactly. five or 10, 10 people to figure it out and 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 you know, and that's it's not a great way of working um I've seen some examples it was a brilliant example in France actually with where the the Department of Housing um, decided to take on an initiative to help the the sector by producing some some uh, standards and objects around housing, and making that available to the market you know, to allow them to yeah to to participate in BIM for housing in an easier way. So yeah, so that's a very uh, kind of a socialist thing to do, you know, for the government to say, I want like we're not gonna make you figure it out, we'll help you. <laughs> uh whereas in in other countries they're probably less socialist and they just say, look, it's your problem, get on with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. What happened with that? What happened with that initiative? It failed?
1: Um I have I haven't followed it up, but I, I don't believe it failed. They when I, the last I heard about it was they had produced a a suite of objects, generic objects for housing. They they had also given those objects to all the man, product manufacturers that were um, developing uh, products for housing, and they allowed them to enhance them further and make them uh, manufactured products, and then yeah. pull them pull them back into a server, which which then they could give access to to you know, all the architects and engineers and contractors in little towns <laughs> around France to- that
0: sounds a lot like open source
1: yeah, yeah and I think it was that's a really good example of yes you know, they have they had a housing problem, and uh they said well instead of trying to force the little people to to solve the problem we'll help we'll be we, we'll form part yeah. of this and and uh yeah, so I must actually follow it up, but to see what happened but it's yeah. just what the approach they had was really good, where a government who had a serious problem was, was taking an initiative to help the industry. And I think with standards, I think if the governments of Europe felt strongly that adopting these standards would uh, improve the economies in the, the con- construction sectors for their, con- for their countries, then, uh, then yeah, maybe they could, could help think about the little people and help and say we'll sponsor this the access to the standards
0: but they need to be informed they need to be taught that there yeah. is a need for this right and uh, uh, of course one standard it's one standard it's 100 euros as you said but you you a person a engineer let's say you need the design codes you have five uh, yeah. you you if you want this beam uh, you have two and uh, it, it, it adds up uh, uh, quickly to 10 or 20. So if you need yeah. that for uh, one person, for one employee and if you add 10, then you come up with uh, pretty big numbers from this point of view. Big companies, it's, it's easy. Of course, they can uh, they are very uh, they can afford this easily. And uh, but uh, I mean like for, for the small for, let's say uh, one or two or three up to five people in a company from this point of view, I know it's uh, it it should not be uh, uh, a problem, but I if you if you make a poll and you ask around if you really have all the standards, they might have them from the old company they work in, and uh, yeah, I, I just mean like uh, they should not maybe change everything, but they should have more accessible maybe plans for other kind of for different tiers maybe of companies. I don't know i' it's yeah. just something I'm thinking about me myself yeah, yeah. as a own consultancy i am not I'm not very happy to go and buy pay around twenty thousand euros for all the standards I will need
1: yeah it is difficult and uh, I agree with you I think that the, the business model needs to be rethought i mean of, of course you know these these organizations like iso and CEN and and all the national standards authorities are businesses in themselves in other words they exactly. They have to, they have to put, they pay their staff and they have to, you know, they have to run, run those businesses. Um, so yeah, I'm sure there's a happy medium somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> but look, I think, um, if, if you're serious about what you're doing, if, and if you're committed to, to working in this way, then, you, you know, I think you you'll, you'll
0: You'll
1: you see the case. value, yeah. Was <laughs> well, so. I'm just using that example of going out to dinner. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, like so, so spending a hundred euros, you know on a dinner, or spending a hundred euros on something that's going to sort of put your your business in a, at a different level compared yeah. to your competitors. So, if all your competitors are not following mm-hmm. the standards and you following the standards, that makes you different. It makes you uh, uh, more attractive to to other companies who want to follow those standards,
0: um, opens more opportunities, of course.
1: Yeah, so there is value in it, um, and I th- I think like if you look at the what the UK are doing with the UK BIM Alliance or BIM and, and the UK BIM framework, what they've done is they've a group of them have also produced some excellent sort of supporting guidance documents, and and all of those are for free, and, and you know you yeah. could say well if you if you follow those you would be following the standard without having purchased the standard <laughs> um, although it's, it's, it's always useful to go to go back to the standard particularly when you people are having arguments and you know people are inventing terminology
0: <laughs> you yeah yeah of course of course of course
1: that term doesn't actually mean anything yeah you know, you've just made that up uh, yes this is what it says in the standard so uh, yeah but it's but, it, but we see there's been lots of hard conversations around the standards, you know, because people are sort of clashing against the standard now because they have their own way of thinking and their own way of working uh, and and you know so and they have to change, uh, and they don't like that because some people are heavily invested in the way they work and
0: yeah
1: the the systems and processes that they've set up for themselves, which are now in conflict to the standards um. You know, so they still want to do things the old way. Uh, and you have to continuously remind them <laughs> that this is the standard now. And, you know, we only have one standard in, in our country or in Europe or to to progress the way we organize and digitize information about buildings.
0: So, um... Yeah, sure, definitely. Uh, just a, lo- a last note regarding this. So my point is just uh, the standards. Should be should not limit people to have uh, to become better to drive better their business. This is the only point. So maybe uh, I don't know. I, I I like a lot open source and this mindset of open information. And uh, I'm thinking if this is working for other uh, industries, it should work for us as well. But uh, yeah. I don't have I don't have a better uh, uh, advice for this. It's just my personal humble opinion. So yeah, uh, <laughs> well.
1: I, w- I often use the example of the internet because the, in- the internet is something that works incredibly well because of a standard. You know, HTML is a standard. Uh, and, you know, as somebody who uses the internet, like I don't need to purchase the standard for HTML and read it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Because the the people who've designed the websites that I go to. Yeah and well, both those me. websites are following the standards. Yeah, and and even sometimes those people haven't purchased the standard because they, they're using frameworks that have been designed by another group of people. Who have, but somebody somewhere along the line has said, this is the standard. And if you want your web page to work on these browsers, it has to follow the standard. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Um, yeah, so somebody along the line has to purchase the standard and follow the standard. Um, but it doesn't have to be each individual user of the internet. So I yeah, think in sure. the same way in construction, you know, I don't think it has to be each individual person in, in the construction industry has to purchase the standard. The, the right people who are designing the software or designing the processes, etc., have to follow those standards. But if they've done their job correctly, then the software and the processes that they've set in place will allow other people to be compliant with the standard without even knowing. Like, I don't, when I use the internet, I don't know why it's working or how it's working. Uh, yeah, but I, I know there's a standard behind it that makes it work.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And um, yeah, and it works, it works really well because yeah. people have, have followed the standard when creating websites and web pages, etc.
0: But the problem is HTML is free. Everything is free out there for everybody, even if you don't know how it works, you can learn anytime and use it for free.
1: Well, I think the, the ISO standard might, must be, you must have, somebody must have purchased it or sponsored it. Yeah. You know, so like it didn't just come about for free. A lot of people put a lot of effort in.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't. I know
1: exactly. we, we 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 can have a long discussion. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, I think the the point about standards is is consistency. We need a consistent way of working for for companies. So it doesn't matter if you're working in Ireland or Norway or France or you know. Yeah. That we're working in a consistent way and it's the same way each time. So I don't have to invent a new way on each project because that's expensive and that takes time and it also creates potential for problems if, if, if you have a, a new way on each project it's you know it's exposing that project to potential problems so um, and I think that's what people need to get is it's this consistent way of working uh, that's saving time it's saving money it's opening up the market it's opening up opportunity and like in Europe I suppose we have a particular problem in that labor in Europe is quite expensive compared to the rest of the world So we have to find, if you're in Europe, either you have to take a significant pay cut to get your labor rates down, which I don't think anybody wants, (laughs) or you have to find ways to work smarter, to to be more productive. And that's, I think that's what's driving this uh, initiative uh, across Europe, this digital single market, is to become more productive, uh, to improve the way, the construction and, and built environment sector works, because uh, it needs improvements. Like there's no doubt uh, buildings are too slow, too expensive. The, the environmentally, the, you know, the, the construction industry is contributing, you know, up to 40% of CO2, you know, like, it's not great. It's uh, the industry, horrible. It's, it's quite unsafe. You know, a lot of people are getting hurt and killed and, and it's not very attractive uh yeah you know, in, in its current format to young people so we the 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 sector is not attracting young people because who like who wants to go and work in that environment where everybody's fighting with each other and you know <laughs> using exactly outdated technologies and you know, and uh and co- contributing such environmental impact and so that so we need to change all of that and uh i think digitization is is um Offering that opportunity to improve the way we work, to reduce the time, to reduce the cost, to test these digital models for performance, calculating carbon, you know, before you build it. And don't build a building and then then test it because that's too late. Like design it, test it, <laughs> analyze it, you know, make sure. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's this idea of building the building twice. That's what we always try and get across to our clients, that it, it, like, it's not a waste of time to build the building twice. It's, it's not going to cost you more money to build the building twice. It's, it's going to save you time. It's going to save you money. You're going to have a much better quality building because you've, you've resolved everything in this digital environment. Um, you've tested it. You've costed it. You've, you know, you've uh, done everything you can. And then all you're doing is you're executing the work on site yeah. at a later stage. Yeah.
0: yeah, that makes perfectly sense.
1: And that that also becomes attractive to young people because yeah. now suddenly, if you think about that, so so much time can be spent in that digital environment, and that's what's cool for the young people. It's like you know, they want to get into the technology, and yeah, you know, and uh, that's where they want to spend their time in you know, in the technology, and uh, and this allows them to do that. So. So suddenly it becomes attractive, and if you're a young person, if your choice is to go make a video game or to go and build the build env- built environment, well, oh, this is exciting because it's real. It's yeah. you're contributing to something that impacts everybody. Yeah, you know, the housing, the schools. The, yeah, you know, that's uh, much more exciting than building a game. Yeah, <laughs> or, or or website or something.
0: That's very true and very true. And uh, uh, like I see now. I've seen some ads or uh, some uh, some jobs here in Norway requiring experience, gaming experience. Just think about yeah. that. It's a blessing for uh, for a lot of uh, youngsters uh, because like working with VR and uh, AR uh, and uh, these new technologies it requires you to be very familiar with uh, uh, with the digital world and it's yeah it's it's really cool.
1: Yeah. But we haven't seen yet re- you know a- a a project that's fully completed in the digital environment before they build it on site you know they're always trying to catch up (laughs) okay so even though we say to people like you must you must complete it in this digital environment first yeah and and resolve all the problems there before you go to site we're still seeing you know that the two are out of sync you know and in, in some cases work is happening on site before they've even finished the work in the model, which is crazy.
0: <laughs> don't, don't, don't say that. Yeah, I know. I know it's, yeah. it's a reality.
1: Yeah. So, so we still, it, you know, even though we, in theory, we know what we have to do, we're still uh, getting the sequence wrong. So uh, but that, I think that's changing. And I think as people are beginning to realize, it, you know, like it's a waste of time to, to go do a half a model, go to site, you know, finish it on site and then come back and try and fix up the model. I mean, it's useful that the model then is available for operations, but it's it hasn't really bought any value during the, the construction in terms of resolving issues. And so yeah.
0: um, we must keep doing that. We must keep talking about this. I think this is very yeah. important is the first thing. And after that, uh, try to raise awareness about this. And uh, people might start becoming more interested and uh, look into it more and try it after that on their project. So yeah. I think this is very important.
1: I think the AR and VR you mentioned there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that allows people to, to spend more time in the digital model in, in different ways, you know, engage with the model. Um, you know and yeah, you know, if let's if you were an experienced person, maybe you you you're older and you you're not comfortable with technology, but if if you but you have the experience, like if you're an experienced person, you walk around a building inside yeah, you immediately pick up problems. Yeah, you know? exactly. So you got to get those people who have the experience into the model and let them look around, and they'll tell you, "Oh, that's not going to work. That's the problem." You know, and uh, and so we got to get the the older generation to yeah. to engage with these technologies, um, and even people who are coming close to retirement, you could be using their knowledge. To educate younger people through AR, VR, you know, uh, where where somebody, an older person, might sit in an office, but you know, be able to walk around with a young person who's on site with maybe some goggles on, you know, and sharing experiences with with that person without physically having to be with them there, and um, you know, so all these things with this new pandemic as well, it means yeah, people you know, people with experience can sit in offices through technology, but engage with with other people
0: uh, on site. Yeah, these are very good points, actually, yeah. Enabling people with experience, just give them new powers and yeah. uh, to, to, to use their experience. Yeah, that, that's that, those are very good points.
1: Yeah, I think if like if you're coming, let's say you're five years away from retirement, you're, you're probably physically not comfortable walking around a, a building site all day long, yeah, so, but... Uh, but you, you've got all the knowledge in your head and somehow you've got to impart that knowledge to, to the younger generation. So I think technologies can begin to make those connections. Uh, yeah. And one, one person sitting at a desk might be able to work with 10 people, 10 different people on diff- different sites, uh, you know, through the technology. So they could have, you know, during a day, 10 meetings from one pr- location you know, instead of driving to ten different
0: sites. Yeah, exactly. Having only one meeting in a day, of course. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it makes of, sense. Lots of lots of ideas. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's very good. Regarding Beam, you said uh, uh, something uh, earlier about uh, the architect uh, that uh, the client told him uh, they don't want to use Beam on their projects. Let's let's do an exercise. Imagine I am that customer. Uh, I I heard Beam. A lot of people buzzing around Beam. I maybe I don't understand exactly what BIM is. I know it's a 3D model, but I don't know too much about it. So for a beginner, from a beginner perspective, uh, tell me uh, what is BIM? What should I understand that BIM is and why should I use BIM on my project? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we normally start that conversation with like, what do you want to achieve on this project? You, know, you, you want to build a building and you want to understand what that building is going to be before it's built. You don't want to build a building and then figure out that was wrong. <laughs> okay. So you want to understand the scope of the work. You want to understand what it's going to cost you. So cost is important. So not pretend like it's going to be a million, but actually it turns out to be 2 million. <laughs> you, you want sort of some certainty around the cost. You want to know when it's going to be delivered you know, in time and how that's going to be done logistically, if it's a difficult site, et cetera. And you you want to know the quality, you know, because buildings are expensive things. You, know, you And once it's built, it's very difficult to unbuild it and fix it uh, if it's not the quality you wanted. Yeah, it's, so these are the things that are important to clients, Yeah, you know, not BIM. Like, but where BIM feeds into all those things is BIM allows them to understand the scope. The fact that you can take your client into this virtual environment and they can see exactly what's going to be built and is it going to suit them. And if, if they want to make a change, that's the time to make a change before you've built it. You know, it's, no, it's no good walking around the, the building with the client. He said, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want this change because that's too expensive. So the, the BIM helps them understand the scope. The connecting the model to a construction program and looking at the sequence in time of how it's going to come together logistically, how you're going to do that safely, gives them an understanding of the the time. The fact that you can extract quantities and do more accurate measurements gives them a much better understanding of the cost. The fact that you can analyze this building from an energy point of view, from a carbon point of view, from a structural stability point of view, if maybe if you're in a seismic region or something like that, gives a much more comfort in the quality. And the last thing is that as you're working through the traditional design process, you're gathering digital data, which is gonna become a database that's gonna be useful for your ongoing operations in in the future for the next 10, 20 years, uh, instead of having a, a room full of Files or boxes of paper. So that's how we explain it to, to to clients. Like it's touching on everything that's important to you, uh, you know, but it doesn't happen by accident. You as the client have to tell your team that this is the way you want to work, that you want them to to construct this building digitally first, to sort it out, resolve it, get a get get a really good idea of the cost, get a really good idea of the the delivery mechanism and the logistics etc test the quality for you in this digital environment and allow you as the client to come into this digital environment and see what they're proposing before they go and build it because if you don't tell if you don't tell your team to do that then they're not going to do that they're going to go back to what they did 20 years ago you know drawing drawings and which you as a client are not going to understand anyway because most clients don't understand drawings they it's very difficult they're looking at a drawing and it's just white paper with lots of black lines. And, you know, like, what is it? I, I don't know what it is. And, you know, that's why you get a lot of changes on site because the first time the client really understands what they're getting is when you're walking around the site. Oh, is that what it looks like? No, I didn't want that. <laughs> so, you know, so once you've explained to, cl- to clients that all those benefits and how BIM's going to help them get what they want, then, yeah, then it's up to them to, to, to set the rules, you know, to, to, to talk to their professional team and say, this is the way we want to work. You know, we want to save time. We want to save money. We want to get a good quality building. We don't want to kill anyone, and we don't want to have a huge impact on the environment. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, yeah like that, that sounds
0: like... Yeah,
1: yeah. and, and boom, opens that up for us. It enables, for, for us, BIM is just an enabler. It's a technology, as an enabler to better design, better construction, you know, better processes. Uh, but, yeah, the client has an important role because, you know, like the, the biggest excuse, you ask anybody, why aren't you doing BIM? Like BIM has been around for 30 years or more. <laughs> like Why aren't you doing it? The, the number one reason everybody says is my client doesn't want it didn't yeah you know, didn't ask us to do it
0: what is too expensive
1: <laughs> well that's that's a lie that's that's a, based on a misunderstanding yeah,
0: it's not yeah, of course. it's
1: not more expensive it's less expensive like overall like it, it might be more expensive in a short period but it's overall it's saving money there's lots of reports to say that BIM saves you know, lots of like you know, some of the reports are 10 to 20% of the cost 10 to 20% of the time uh, on a project. So, so this if you can read and you can read a report, there's enough proof there for many years, uh, to, to demonstrate that, but those savings won't happen. If you try and implement them, yeah, you know, in a traditional way where you say, you know, we, we're not going to do the work up front. We're going to always push the problem down the road. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, you know, we've had a project where the client wanted BIM there was, was the process was all put in place the contractor decided they're not going to use BIM to build the building but w- when they finish the building what they'll do is they'll take all the drawings and send them to China and you know they'll create a BIM afterwards and give it to the client because that's what the client wanted yeah Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, and the, the the client didn't uh, we only found that out because we asked the right questions you know, like, yeah, you know, where's the model? No, we're not, we're not producing the model now. yeah, and so the and the client didn't understand that that's what that they were getting until we we came in there and ex- exposed that, you know, and wow. what it meant was they were going to get their BIM at the end, but they weren't going to get any of the potential savings and all those benefits I just spoke about for for the construction. <laughs> So it's really important that clients understand these things and 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 know what's being offered. Uh, and that's where there's a lot of education to happen, yeah, um, unfortunately. And and the, the professional, this is also my, as I said earlier, I have this little thing, but it, yeah, I don't believe the professional team that the client is hiring is helping the client if they allowed that to happen. Because the architects and engineers that the client hired should have also picked that out yeah and they allowed that to happen and so in that instance they were not um yeah they were not looking after the interests of their client you know and that and in in my view that's not being professional like being professional it's like a doctor who doesn't give you the right treatment yeah and you don't get better like that's unprofessional you could you could sue that doctor for being unprofessional or if you go to a lawyer for some legal advice, and they don't give you the right legal advice, and you you lose money or end up in jail or something. <laughs> that's unprofessional, and it's um, yeah. I think professionals have we've forgotten how to be professional in the built environment, and we, we just allow people to to do unprofessional things.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I cannot argue uh, against that. Uh, that that that's true.
1: Coming back to your question, like, how would I explain them? I mean, it's, we, we explain it as a digital representation of a built thing, like a building or a bridge or, so you, and that digital representation for us is three things. So it's geometry. So you have to describe the building in, in its form, you know, the shape, the size. The, so that definitely 3D is part of it because that's the only way to describe a physical thing is through describing its 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 form and its location in space, et cetera. Yes. Uh, but there's also the the second part is the information, the the properties or attributes of information that you need for all the calculations on costs, on energy, on performance, you know, fire rating, yeah. So all that useful information in a digital format that you can analyze and you know work with rather than on in a paper format. But then you, you still are required under law to have documentation. So if if you're going to install a particular material or product into a building, you have to make sure it has a CE mark, it has a declaration of performance, it has a, it's been tested, it has a test certificate, etc. So that kind of stuff is still documentation. You're not going to digitize all of that as in a database. So it's just. The digital representation for us is three things it's the 3d geometry the, the information and all the documentation held in a common data environment so so there's one place you can go to to look for stuff yeah and that 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 data is organized and it's managed we know who approved it we know who accepted it uh etc and um so that's how we describe them
0: that sounds very, very, as a very good description and very complete. You yeah. did not miss any any of the aspects. So that's very important. That's something that, that helps against the misunderstanding and the limitation of, uh, of, of BIM, actually.
1: Yeah, and when you come back to, as I said, the things that are important to clients, like if you want to measure cost, yeah, you know, it's very difficult to measure cost with traditional drawings and things you know, because you have to do manual takeoffs and, you know, you want ways that you can extract data very quickly to process it. Exactly. If you, want to, if you want to look at program or time or logistics, you know, you need to do that in a quick way. Otherwise, you're only going to do it once. You know, if you want to do energy analysis or carbon analysis or anything like that, you need to extract that data pretty quickly and do it on a regular basis rather than just do it, do it once yeah i think yeah that's where problems occurred in previous projects they would only measure costs once because it was so it took so long to measure the cost that you'd only do it once <laughs> when yeah you know, before you go to tender and maybe the contractor would do it once uh, and then maybe maybe at the end you'd try and recalculate so but working with digital data we can do that every week if we like you know, we we can yeah extract costs you know so we can have much better control so working with digital data versus analog data is it's on a different a different level completely it's not it's not like it's slightly better <laughs> it's
0: yeah it's a yeah. huge difference yeah it's a yeah. paradigm shift it's just yeah, yeah. it's a paradigm shift
1: and um so we we're trying to help our clients understand the the difference between digital versus analog uh and you know that's where we uh you know, we want to say that this is not like a slight improvement in the way your projects work. It can be huge, like com- complete different mindset to, to how people, uh, to sort of work through a project yeah. if they want, if, if they're willing to participate. Sometimes they're not all willing and you have to have good contracts and good, good, uh, things in place to make sure people do what they do. Um, one thing we haven't seen a lot of, but this is obviously as consultants, this is where we feel yeah. we bring value to clients, is we kind of act like a referee, uh, you know, like if you have a game of football or rugby, um, You know, both teams can understand the rules, but yeah. if you don't have the referee, they'll, they'll, try, and, they'll try and break the rules. So, and what makes the game exciting is having the referee who's checking that everybody's playing by the rules.
0: Yeah.
1: And so what we try... As consultants, when we're working for the clients, is to sort of act like the referee, so just to make sure that people aren't trying to pull the, the wool over their eyes yeah. <laughs> of the client.
0: Yeah, that, that act, sounds Like that like, like, nice. like
1: contractor who, who tried to, uh, you know, yeah, just do the project as normal and deliver boom at the end.
0: Was, was there <laughs> any consequence, if I may ask? Uh, like, uh, did they got penalized for that, or?
1: Uh... Well, they, they didn't get penalized, but they had to catch up earlier you know, like okay. they had to they had to resolve that issue because that, that's not what the client had asked for so and it
0: was not at the end of the project you did not find this at the end of the project it was during the project know. yeah and okay. fortunately that's enough good.
1: it was it was early on i mean they had already constructed uh, a, a, the, the structure uh but they hadn't they hadn't progressed all the, the facades and finishes yet so so they still could get some benefit but yeah, um, yeah, it's it's strange <laughs> what some people oh are God. trying yeah. to do. Yeah, and, they, and they, it's not that they didn't know what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, it's the they just thought they could get away with it, you know, because nobody was checking. And uh, so I think that's the, the value uh, of having somebody who's checking you know, on the project.
0: Yeah, if you don't have, if the client doesn't have the competency or the people, that have experience with this just hire somebody because you you, you might save lots of uh, of money yeah. there
1: yeah well you you could say the professional team should have been checking but that's that's what i'm saying earlier like yeah i think a lot of the professional team aren't being professional anymore <laughs> they're not looking after their clients interests you know if they allowed something like that to happen
0: yeah yeah i agree with that uh, do you work only with uh, irish companies or I- only in ireland or you, do you have customers uh, outside as well
1: we we work mostly with irish companies we've worked on projects outside of ireland but for irish companies that are working oh. outside of ireland so yeah we i suppose we, we we're not a big company but we we have enough <laughs> to do in ireland there's enough uh, there's enough people to educate and to to help to keep us busy, we don't. So there hasn't been a need for us to to go and look for work elsewhere yet. But not not to say we don't want to, or just yeah. to, we're keeping busy. So yeah,
0: that's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, because it definitely is going to help a lot. Uh, with the adoption. And yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very very important. Uh, do you maybe have any any material, digital material with this with this kind of with any, any courses or I don't know, webinars that you did or something?
1: Yeah, we what we've been doing since the pandemic started in March, we've been running a, a free 10 hour, what we call a BIM coordinators mentor program. So it's one hour a day for 10 days, just where we sharing some of our knowledge and experience from the last, with anybody who's, who wants to pursue their um, their sort of business or career, just to understand the different aspects. So um, that's been very successful. We've we've had maybe over two thousand people complete that wow. in the last six months. Um, Where can I find that? Yeah, I, I can send you some information on that. Um, so we 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 run them once a month, and as I said, it's just ten hours a day. We it's just covering the basics for people who want to start their journey. Um, Into digital construction, so we we look at on the first day why it's important. So coming back to earlier discussion, I always think it's important that you understand why you're doing something before you you try and do it. Of course, yeah. So we we discuss the growing need. I think there's a growing need for people who are willing to manage and coordinate them. Yeah, because if you like the vision of for the European Union is that our our towns and our cities become smart, and you know that the digital built environment becomes digitized. But that means for every building, if you think about your town, your city, for every building in the future, there will be a digital representation, uh, and somebody has to look after that. So you know, it's not going to look after itself. Well, maybe some of it with AI and machine learning. Yeah, maybe 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 some of it will look after itself, but there needs to be a BIM manager or BIM coordinator for every digital version of of the towns and cities and infrastructure. And yeah, you know, so if you imagine how massive that is, that need for BIM coordinators and BIM managers is, and that's why we started the program, is to for people who want to start on that journey um, and take responsibility to manage and coordinate BIM. Yeah, you know, we're we've offering a few tools and, and, and advice uh, so we, awesome. we look at we look at on the second day what people need to know so the things the skill sets and knowledge sets that people need to know we look at how somebody does their job under the ISO 19650 standard uh, either as a BIM manager working for a company or for the manager working for an overall project or you know for the manager working for clients um, we look at um how you interact with graphical data how you interact with the non-graphical data how you interact with the the documents the common data environment we we touch broadly on model authoring so the process of making these models and then model coordination so that's those are the sort of topics of the 10 days and we feel that yeah that gives people a good start to see how would i pursue my career or my business in in the management of the coordination interesting yeah
0: may I ask uh, do you use any tools uh, for this do you are you aware about any tools that might help uh, with this yeah yeah so um,
1: so, so on we well we, there's a number of tools that we cover during the this program with uh, some tools we've developed ourselves some Excel tools just to help people put their digital plans or work together and yeah you know, manage their product data sheets, et cetera. Um, yeah, other tools are tools that are freely available. So like tools for viewing models. I mean, there's lots of tools to view models and engage with models. So some we're just demonstrating tools that are freely available and easy to learn, easy to use. Um, and then we we do show um, you know, our, our particular business uses Revit as a model authoring tool and Navisworks as a coordination tool. So we we demonstrate those, but only to show the process, we're not yeah. pushing any particular software because there's lots of software out there and uh, you know, people should select the software that suits them. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we show a lot of tools and, and other tools like document templates and things in terms of um, template uh, exchange information requirements, template uh, BIM execution plans, etc. We We also present those.
0: As a word document or uh, in Microsoft uh, Microsoft Office format, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, there are some great tools available to do that in a in a better way. So, yeah. I suppose in the in this program, we do, we're trying to show an entry point for people where they don't have to invest a lot, but there's there's fantastic tools already on the market, even for for writing BIM execution plans and and in in a more digital format in in
0: a database so, exactly did you use any yeah. of this can you share it's allowed to share and
1: yeah yeah we, and well it. i think tools like plannerly and mortar or two that i can think of immediately that um, we've been looking at yeah for, for doing that
0: yeah i like plannerly a lot as well uh, yes. so uh it's, I, I know lots of people that start using it more and more it's so intuitive and you can integrate it you have the same yeah. environment where you work together work with more people right yeah
1: yeah and we we had clive um from yeah. tanley was on one of our podcasts and i've seen it we, I know we, we, had, we had a great discussion about it because it's the one area that we do feel that people are not spending enough time is how to plan things yeah you know, totally. everybody who just everybody who just wants to start and do the work <laughs> i know i know uh, but but they end up doing the wrong work at the wrong time you know and it's it turns into a mess so you, you just want to encourage people to just just plan a little bit first the creative digital planner work of how are you going to execute this digital build in the same way as you wouldn't just send builders to site with materials without and say, go designing go, yeah yeah go go start building you, you know how to build yeah like you would plan how to build something and if you're going to build the the digital version of the building, you have to plan that as well. It's not going to happen by accident. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. This is this is a dilemma I have as well. Like it's it's mind boggling that we don't understand that. It's like okay, you need to in order to build a building, you need to have the design, right? But then you need to have a plan for the design and for the entire process, right? Yeah. So it it only makes sense.
1: Yeah. And um, so we we're encouraging people. So I mean we. As part of the course, we offer a free kind of Excel tool just as a starting point, but yeah. people can then go to paid paid software and databases, etc.
0: That sounds great. I'm looking forward to getting those links from you. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Uh, do you have maybe published any YouTube, uh, YouTube videos regarding- We do. Not, not yeah. uh, only the podcast, I mean instructional videos or something. Do you have any like this? Yeah,
1: well, our, our company ArcDocs, has uh, a YouTube channel, so we're, where we have some certain videos. Uh, some are, yeah, you know, we have, for instance, we have a great a, a recorded a lecture for project managers. Boom for project managers. So that's on our YouTube channel. Uh, we also have, yeah, you know, our team, our technical team, are, are posting tips and tricks about, yeah, you know, some of the rabbits and other things that they're using so people can go look at our, our youtube channel um, awesome
0: yeah uh, i'll put that in the in the show yeah.
1: there's also we we're part of the construction it alliance in 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 ireland is a is a not for profit kind of network group um, and for the past 10 years yeah there's been a strong focus on bim and we've had great speakers from around the world come to Events yeah, and those have been recorded. So there's, there's a that's also a very good YouTube channel of, of content Um You have know, 10 years of different people from around the world coming and speaking about them um, So I'll send wow. you the link to that as I, well. Uh,
0: yeah, sure. Please, please yeah. do that Please include anything you think is relevant and you would like me to include in the show notes. Yeah, uh, it would be definitely helpful for everybody who's uh, interested to look into yeah. it. Yeah,
1: yeah yeah so I think I would just encourage people to start on your journey because <laughs> there's no digital, the digital construction is going to happen it's happening already it's not going to stop like every digitization of every sector has is happening you know you've seen it in finance you've seen it in travel you've seen it in media um so it's happening in construction, and you know I'd encourage people to Pay attention and start the journey, and and not be left behind. Because at some point in time, an, anal- an analog way of working is going to be um, replaced. Replaced. <laughs> and if 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 that's all you can do, you're going to be replaced. <laughs> Which is <laughs> yeah. So um, so I would encourage people not to be comfortable with with just knowing how you did something 20 years ago. Look into these things. Start the journey. It's not a difficult journey, it's, uh, and it doesn't have to be um, painful if you if you do it in the right way. Where, where it becomes painful if you ignore it, and then exactly. suddenly th- somebody says to you, "Right, we're going to use BIM on this project," <laughs> and, and you're like, "Whoa, whoa, hang on!" <laughs> yeah, and then you're under pressure, and then that's probably the worst way to to get into it when, you, when you're under pressure because uh, you won't learn properly, and, and you make you make Big potentially big mistakes.
0: Yes. Um, so, yeah. Is there any other resources you you would recommend people uh, who are interested about this to learn more? I think I've, the UK BIM framework
1: website has some excellent resources and the fr- guidance on the ISO nineteen six fifty standard. Um, I would highly recommend that um you know they've done a lot of work on all aspects um also the the scottish futures trust um have a fantastic bim portal with some great tools so the scottish futures trust um are doing a little bit of what like france did where they they're looking at public procurement in scotland and saying well instead of expecting each department to figure this out. Let's do it together, you yeah. know. And so they've created a set of a suite of st- tools and and processes and guidance notes yeah. to to help all all of public procurement. So those are two I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. If I think of others, I can I will. I'll let you know.
0: Sure. Please include the the French. Study or the French initi- initiative in uh, in the in the links. Yeah, you are going I must to go find it because
1: I didn't actually. the The way I c- heard about that was a presentation yeah. from the group that set it up to the Architects Council of Europe. Okay, so I'll see if I can find yeah some online thing about that. But that's where I heard about it, and it, okay, it just it just made so much sense to me when I heard about it, that. He has a, a department of the government that had a a challenge, and instead of expecting, you know, each individual architect in the country to figure it out, they've they did something to uh, to help with the the industry.
0: Yeah, that that makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, is there anything else you would like to to add uh, here at the end?
1: I don't think so. <laughs> I think we've uh, had a had a good conversation. Um, yeah, I think for me uh, what i'm thinking about a lot these days is the quality of information and you know what what is good quality versus poor quality and and the value um so the value of information i think people still don't have a, a good appreciation of of the value of information and i think that comes from you know work, working 20 30 years with poor quality, quality information that it's it's okay not to have good quality information but the we've seen so many benefits that good quality information can bring that uh, we, we we spend a lot of time sort of explaining to people the difference between poor quality information and good quality information and yeah and just just want to drag <laughs> the industry towards yeah. better better quality information uh, yeah. of course we, we can't get perfect information that's very difficult, but like we should be aiming towards that.
0: Yeah. Much better, much better yeah. information we can have. Finally, we have the tools There are here, right? Uh, you said 20, 30 years. I would argue thousands of years we've been doing things in the same way. We've been drawing. Romans have used drawings, you know. So yeah. Egyptians definitely had some kind of drawings. Uh, and it was the best they have uh, had available. Right now, we don't have that excuse anymore. We have the tools. We have... Everything around us, we just uh, it's us to, who, who need to, to tap into it and use it.
1: Yeah, well, and I, th- I think we probably have a generation of people who are scared of technology. Um, and, you know, and usually those are senior people in companies and they don't want to look stupid. So, you know, it's better to <laughs> just continue doing <laughs> what, you, what you know. Um, you know and um yeah I, I would say even to to that group of people you can get involved without getting you know fully involved like even if you learn to use a free viewer for instance um there's some great free viewers out there and they're Is really that- easy they they're really easy to use you know, to learn so if you're and and if that allowed you as a senior person to open a model and walk around and look around and and some make some contribution and even if it's just a comment like yeah that's not that's not going to work or that looks like a problem, um, yeah you know, that's you begin to engage with the process and contribute to the process. Um, we we've noticed in a lot of the companies that we work with that there's a, a portion of people that are digitally divided. You know they. They, they because they're not engaging with technology they they are uh, separated from this process which which is unfortunate because they are usually the people who have the experience <laughs> and uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of projects have very young people without experience man, sort of having unusual control or management of of a pro a project just because they have the technical ability. For, um, Exactly. Yeah, so so we've got to bring these two groups of people together. And, um, you know, and so that's sort of just encourage people to engage or at whatever level you can just, yeah. just get, get get your foot in the door and <laughs> start and uh, it will open up so many more possibilities.
0: It's very important. And let's not forget, let's not be foolish and think that in the today's age, with so much information around us, someone can just know everything. It's impossible. No matter what function do you have in a company. Just be honest with yourself. Like, if you cannot know anything, just allow others to do it. To Like, nobody will know everything here, right? It's just like embracing a new way of working. It's, it's about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, even for some, just the video conferencing has been a challenge in this last... Six months yeah some there's there's people there who just didn't know how to have a a video conference <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, didn't feel comfortable and um but they've been forced to do that now, and yeah, I think people are are getting used to that, so I think the next step is begin to engage with the BIM process at whatever level you are and get started. It is a journey for everyone, it's a journey, and yeah, it's not an overnight thing.
0: No, definitely. I completely agree with that. But if you don't do it, then you will be just left behind. I don't see any other way around right now. In the in the situation we are, we find ourselves right now. I don't see it other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. So well, Ralph. Thank you very much for a uh, amazing conversation. I, l- I learned a lot. Thank you very much for uh, sharing with me uh, your experience.
1: Thank you for for the opportunity to share with. Your audience, and
0: uh... it's been a pleasure. I'm sure many many will find this very useful, and will learn a lot, and will become more motivated to do more about this. And uh, yeah, keep keep uh, keep up the the good work you are doing. We need more and more people. We, you need to be resilient and uh, continue with what you're doing, because it's the only way we we are going to prevail at the end.
1: Yeah, we'll do and. Thanks again for your time.
0: Yeah, likewise. Thank you.